Welcome to the Daily Stoic Podcast, where each weekday we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, a short passage of ancient wisdom designed to help you find strength and insight here in everyday life. And on Wednesdays, we talk to some of our fellow students of ancient philosophy, well-known and obscure, fascinating and powerful. With them, we discuss the strategies and habits that have helped them become who they are and also to find peace and wisdom in their actual lives. But first, we've got a quick message from one of our sponsors. Dell TechFest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time, only save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. That's dell.com slash deals. Every business is constantly asking themselves, what's a thing I can do to take my business to the next level? It's something I'm thinking about, of course, over at Daily Stoic and Daily Dad and the Painted Porch. And one of the tools I use for just that is LinkedIn Jobs, because LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. You might have just listened to the episode I put up where I was given a talk at LinkedIn back in 2017. So I've been using LinkedIn a long time because LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. And hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy. In fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. We've hired multiple people here at Daily Stoic from LinkedIn. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Don't let this pass you by. You are busy. You have somewhere you have to go. You have a million things in your head. So you don't look. So you don't stop and think, how can you? Who has the time? Who has the energy? It's understandable, but it's expensive because what we're missing is the moment. What we're missing is what's around us. We're missing all those things that Marcus Aurelius, busier than you, more on his mind than you, managed to not only see, but managed to write about beautifully in his journal. The bread splitting open in the oven, the olives falling ripe from the tree, the stalks of grain bending low, the furrows of the brow of the lion, the flecks of foam on the boar's mouth. This is life. We shouldn't miss it. As the lyrics go, I see the grass beneath me. I smell the winter sky. And I think to myself, don't pass me by. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know how many more of these moments you'll get. So grab them while they're here. Look while you can. Drink them in while you can. Don't let the stillness pass you by. You deserve it. If you want to know a really embarrassing story about me, I was giving a talk in Bermuda a few years ago. I've been doing a bunch of different talks. I had to spend the night at the Toronto airport at at a hotel and then uh, take off that morning to Bermuda. And I remember landing in Bermuda and I called my wife and I was like, did you know Bermuda is like off the coast of the Carolinas? And she was like, what? Yeah, of course. Everyone knows that. And I was like, I thought it was in the Bahamas. Uh, and she was like, you're the biggest idiot in the entire world. Do you know why you think it is near the Bahamas? And I was like, why? And she was like, 
because it's next to the Bahamas in the Beach Boys song. And uh, that's me. And also an insight into uh, what the life of a speaker is. You just sort of go wherever they tell you. You don't look that much into the details because you're just going from one thing to the other. I remember years previous, uh, my wife actually came with me on this one, so she's partly to blame also. But we landed in London um, and then they picked us up and I was like, where are we going? They're like, oh, the talk is in Wales. I was like, is that like far from here? And they're like, yeah, it's five hours from here. Um, so you're just sort of like, it's a blur of places and airports and trips and trains and buses and drivers and all of that. Anyways, why was I in Bermuda? I was in Bermuda because I was giving a talk to a hedge fund at their offsite that had been put together by this guy that I'd heard a lot about, that we had some mutual friends, uh, we had some mutual friends, but I, and I really wanted to meet him. His name was Randall Stuntman. And he's basically like the guy behind the guy, or the, uh, mentors lots of women as well, but he's like the leadership coach, expert advisor to pretty much any bank, firm, hedge fund, legal office, you name it, on Wall Street. And not just Wall Street, but like you know, the financial industry. He's like the guy in the way that Bill Campbell was the guy in Silicon Valley, Google, Apple, uh, Adreesan Horowitz, etc. That's what Randall Stutman is on the East Coast. And I'm just, one, I'm always fascinated when someone's like the best at what they do. And I'm also really fascinated when someone's like a secret weapon to other people. And so I was really honored that he brought me in to talk to one hedge fund, then another hedge fund and a couple different funds. And we've gotten to know each other. Uh, I went out and saw him uh, in Philadelphia a few years ago. I got to see him lead a coaching session with his coaches, which was an incredible experience. Anyway, he's become a friend. He appears briefly in my book, Stillness is the Key. He was telling me about this study. He looked at um, all these great uh, leaders and CEOs and how they found stillness and quiet in their hobbies. Uh, he's become an advisor and a mentor to me, as he is to countless people. I'm just a big fan of this guy. He's, his work as an advisor and speaker has taken him to the White House, to West Point, the Olympics, as well as Harvard Business School. He's worked for close to three decades, Fortune 500 companies, hedge funds, law firms, private equity firms, investment banks, insurance companies, as I said, which include Citi, Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and many, many others. And he's just fascinated with what makes great leaders great leaders. How and, and I think his definition of leadership is a really is a really great one. Even that uh, is educational. He says leaders make people better. That's what we're in the business of doing, making people better. And uh, that's what he does. He's made me better knowing him. And that's why when we did the Daily Stoic Leadership Challenge, Randall was one of the people that I wanted to interview. Now we did that as part of the challenge. It was originally just going to be limited to the people who did the challenge. But this interview was so good and Randall's insights are so great that I felt like I had to share them with people. And uh, that's what we're gonna do here. If you wanna take the challenge, we'd love to have you. You can sign up at dailystoic.com slash leadership challenge. And if you're a Daily Stoic Life member, of course you get them for free. In any case, this is my interview with Randall Stutman. You can follow him at admiredleadership.com. He also has a great interview uh, on Shane Parrish's podcast, The Knowledge Project, which 
as part of the leadership challenge, I was interviewing Shaka Smart, uh, formerly the coach at UT, now the coach at Marquette for men's basketball. And I mentioned Randall Stutman. He goes, I listened to him on the Knowledge Project. That was an incredible interview. He is a big fan of Randall. Like I said, he's the guy behind the guy. He makes leaders better. That's what we're going to do in this interview. I'm really proud of this one. I can't wait for you to listen. Check out Randall at AdmiredLeadership.com. Enjoy. I thought what we'd start with is this idea of your definition of leadership as being uh, a leader is someone who makes people better. Walk me through where where that, I imagine it's a very simple thing, but I imagine it took uh, quite a lot of study and uh, experience to come to it. So, so walk me through your, your, your journey to, to that insight. So, so you, as you well know, so many definitions of leadership and so many representations of it, but the more time you spend with leaders and you kind of look at the essence of, uh, instead of looking at the kinds of functions that they serve or, you know, the, the, uh, the ways that they do things, which we're certainly interested in, but at the, at the base of it is, um, I've never been around a leader that, that in their head, at least, if not in their expressions, doesn't have an idea that they want to make people and situations better. And so if you think of leadership as an expression, not a possession, which is really where we started from, and then you move to the idea of, so where, where does leadership reside? Well, it resides in actions and behaviors and decisions and messages and choices. Then why are you engaging those things? And, and when you ask that question, you get the, you're, you're doing them, you're engaging them to make other people better or situations better. And then if you remove the idea of title, authority, power, status away from leadership, which is, which is really the thing that, that makes it dark to other people. And, and makes it under, misunderstood. And you say, okay, so who can lead? Well, anytime I'm making people better or making situations better, I'm making a choice to do so, then I'm choosing to lead. And so, so a very long time ago, I've decided that I, I just want to subscribe to the, to the definition of the empowering view of leadership as, as expression in a way that anybody or everybody can do it and does it on an ongoing basis. So that's where it came from. Yeah, no, I like that because it, it makes it much more accessible as well. I, I remember when I was working on this book with Chris Bosch, who, who won two championships with Miami, he was talking to me about a conversation he had with one of his coaches, it was high school or, or college. They were saying, look, like the leader is not necessarily the loudest person in the locker room. It's not necessarily the team captain. It's not necessarily the best player on the team. And it's not, it's not the person giving exciting speeches at halftime either. It's any, it, you know, there are lots of ways to lead. And so I like that it, because I think if your definition of is that a leader makes people better then anyone and everyone inside an organization, inside a industry, inside a community can play a leadership role, whether you're the CEO or the president or, or the owner. And isn't that obvious once you say it out loud? I mean, sure that people are leading all the time. They just don't think of it as leadership. I mean, somebody needs to be comforted and you comfort them. Is it really not an act of leadership? Well, of course it is. Now, it doesn't mean it's skillful. doesn't mean it works. doesn't mean it's effective. But the attempt is to try to make a situation or a person better. And as a result, you're leading, which means we can make that choice more often if we so choose. 
Well, and that there are different that, that an organization is is filled with leaders at different levels, uh, and and that the that that different leaders have different jobs, but their job is to make either the few people around them or the many hundreds or thousands of people beneath them better. Uh, and uh, and also that I guess leadership can go both directions. You can make the people above you better and the people beneath you better. Right, just with by your choices, right? Just by the the, the actions and choices you make. And what else is cool about that is that when you have that frame in your head, not only does that mean that you can lead more actively all the time, but it also means now that you can understand what it means to be skillful. Because the idea is, right, if you're going to create leadership excellence, you you actually have to get good at making people in situations better by your choices, which means your choices, your behaviors, they actually matter. Well, I I think that connects with with the few times that I've seen you at work uh, at some of the leadership offsites that you've had me come speak at. It was interesting. Obviously, you, you, you work a lot with in finance and with hedge funds and investors. As I've met the, the people that run or own the funds that you, you hire you as a coach, I don't know, I guess as an outsider, I assume like the, the head of some large hedge fund is making a lot of investment decisions, right? Is is the sort of the captain of the ship. But actually seeing them at work with you, it's like, oh, they're actually not really doing much of that day to day. Primarily their job is helping the people in the organization do all those things. That primarily the leader is sort of a shepherd and a cultivator of talent and culture and that that's how they make people better. And then those people actually run the business itself. Amen. Agreed. Right. I mean, that's exactly what happens. And it's true of any in any organization of any size in any industry. Um, you know, the best leaders are facilitative uh, in, in terms of the team. And, and they're trying to forge a team of leaders, not, not, just, not just themselves being in a position of power and authority. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't some weak leaders out there that have some bad things in their head that try to do the opposite. And, and, and a lot of leaders, by the way, very good ones, ha- have a high need for control. But, but um, at the same point, when you finally get to, a, to evolve to a point where you actually understand what leadership is, um, you're absolutely more about other people than you are about yourself. And you're about, you're about the development of everything. And, and you take a back seat. You know, I think it was Bob Dylan said, when you're on the bottom, you know, when you're on the top, you're really on the bottom. That's exactly how the best leaders see it. They're, you know, they're on the top, but they're really on the bottom. They're a resource to everybody. Now, and being a resource doesn't mean you're a servant. Like, like I don't, I don't, um, rail against servant leadership. I'm not somebody that really bandies about or concerns myself with many definitions, but, but I do believe that uh, as a great leader, you know, you do need to be a resource, but that doesn't mean that you're only there to serve other people. It means that you're there to collectively facilitate people toward the goals of the organization and toward their own goals. And sometimes that'll look like servant leadership and sometimes it won't. Yeah, there's a great book. It's a new translation of Plutarch uh, called How to Be a Leader. And he has a good line. He says, a leader must be able and willing to do anything, but can't do everything. And so I think a servant leader might find themselves in a position where they're just doing everything for everyone and thus not actually serving anyone or the business. So you have to be willing to help anyone with any problem, but you can't, you can't be doing everything because then you're not, you're not helping everyone. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you know, selflessness is a is a wonderful virtue, but it probably doesn't play out exactly that way in leadership situations. 
And yes. um, you could be, you could be selfless to a point of being great, highly ineffective. Um, um, so. Well, so, so this idea of, of being, uh, you know, a, a leaders come in many forms. I'm, I'm fascinated with your career because uh, I've met so many people who swear by you, uh, who, who have, who've worked with you to sort of consider you like their, their sort of secret weapon. But most, the vast majority of people haven't heard of you. How, how, how have you, how have you sort of gravitated towards and relished in the role of being the guy behind the guy or the guy behind the woman? And, and I know you, you have many coaches who work for you. So you, you also have many women who work for you. So they're the, the woman behind the guy or the woman behind the woman. Talk to me about this sort of less prominent form of leadership. Again, we, we tend to think of leaders as being the leading the charge but uh, you know, not every leader is is well known. Often, leaders can be people you've never heard of. The, the very best leaders I've ever been around are people you would never even imagine. You, you never heard of. You never will hear of them. And now they're very well known in their organizations, by the way, and sometimes in their industries. But they either sit in seats that don't require a profile, or they actually eschew profile, which is very common of people that of excellence in just about everything. I mean, again, if you're trying to to put your face in a coin, that's a very different um, uh, goal than it is to just simply trying to be a great leader. I, I've always believed that the whole point of us is to be in the back background, not in the foreground, that our clients want that. Um, but, you know, very, very few people want to say, like, you don't promote like who your doctor is and what your visit was about. You don't, right. you don't normally talk about who your lawyers are. And so why would you talk about who your advisors are? And and then I've also had a belief that, you know, if, if truly leadership is about other people, which is what I deeply believe, it's about how you engage other people. It's not about you. Um, even your office can't be about you. Even your personal spaces are not about you it, it, and that they're not in an ideal form. Then how would we not be charlatans if, in fact, we made it about us? As, as a way of coaching other people to, to greatness or to excellence. And so, we, we, you know, I've always had the rule in our firm that nobody gets quoted, nobody writes things, nobody does speeches, nobody does any of those things, that, that our great work will be referred, you know, from place to place. And we build a beautiful business over a long period of time, totally by referral. We don't market ourselves. We don't, we don't, we don't do anything other than build relationships and maintain contact with people. We don't advertise. There's no, none of those things. And yet, here we are, you know, in a very um, esteemed position um, and the people that should know us know us. And but the fact that, you know, we have lots of journalists and, and, and people like that that don't know us, I, I actually find that to be a badge of honor. Um, and and so, you know, it's just it's just about living consistently with what you're trying to teach. Like, yeah, I, I think, I, it, yeah. I, I think it was Truman who said you'd, you'd be amazed at what you could accomplish if you don't care about credit. And I think, you know, the fact that it's called the Marshall Plan and not the Truman Plan is sort of proof of concept there. But I, I imagine that because you are OK not getting credit and you don't advertise, it also allows people to hire you and bring you in because they're less threatened by it. And because, you know, in a in a finely tuned industry where people are always looking for the slightest, uh, you know, the slightest, uh, you know, sort of sign of where things are going, you wouldn't want to be seen as, you know, oh, they're hiring Randall because things are really bad over at the fund. Right. You, you don't want to be high profile it would actually impede your ability to effectively lead and make people better. Yeah, for sure. 
Absolutely. And it's just, it's just a, a view. It doesn't make it the right view, but it's a view that I hold very strongly, which is it, it's, it, it needs to be about um, the, the work itself and about other people and about, and about our ability to facilitate. And it isn't about us. I mean, we, we like, like we, we want to do great work, but it, it, none of that great work requires our profile. And it, it certainly doesn't require our vanity. And, and so I insist on that. And, and some people will fight me on it for a period of time. And then they come to round to the wisdom of it over time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in what I call predator theory, right. Um, you know, a fun, you know, make believe theory, which is all the big predators on the planet, you know, lions, tigers, sharks, alligators, like they, 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 you know, all, none of them announce themselves all, all of them sure. eat really well because they're stealthy. I, I'm, I'm, I think you're supposed to be stealthy when you're in the background, right? No, that's, that's beautifully said. So this idea of hiring a coach, and again, I think, uh, it, you know, it's sports, it's obvious, um, maybe a, a little bit in, in business, it's become more, more well-known, but I, I do feel like, and I know I have this, there's this, people kind of have this, uh, resistance towards bringing in a coach. But if the idea of becoming a student of leadership is what you're committing to it it seems like it would make sense that you would bring in an expert that you'd bring in an outside person who could see you from a little bit of distance who's i mean i i guess it's like the average ceo uh, especially if they're the founder of the ceo this is their first time at doing this or maybe they've worked at one or two other companies by bringing in someone like you or bringing in a coach what you're really benefiting from is a swath of experience from other businesses. Like you've, you've worked with hundreds or thousands of CEOs and firms. So if I were to bring you in, what I'm really getting is the trial and error, uh, the failures and mistakes of all those other businesses, which is also a reason to read. But, but I think directly working with someone who's an expert in a topic, what walk me through why people should do that. And, and also I've got to imagine still even at the level you're at, you experience a lot of people whose ego won't allow them to, to even think of doing something like that. Well, it's the, the fortunate thing is I don't get a chance to talk to those people because <laughs> I never get to them. Right. Yes. Um, but we got plenty of people to get to. So that's not the issue. Um, so, so listen, you know, it's one of the reasons that I, I consider myself as much a coach as, as an advisor, because I'm a sounding board. Yeah. And so, you know, so I've been lots of places, seen lots of things. I mean, most, even if at a CEO level, and I coach lots of different CEOs, groom CEOs away from financial services in particular. And, and, um, you know, even if they've been a CEO three times, they have an N of three. They've yeah. had three experiences. Well, I've, uh, you know, I've had an N of five, 600. And so don't you want to hear, like, I, you know, I've seen that situation 25 times. I know some things that you shouldn't do, some things you might think about doing. I have a, at least a, a vested interest in knowing some best practices. And so, you know, and by the way, I'm not going to, you know, it's just a recommendation. It's just right. But would, why wouldn't you want to engage that, you know? In the video analogy, why why don't you want to go to you know door seventeen? Why do you want to be killed and spend all and waste all that time through all those you know trials and tribulations when I can already take you to door seventeen? Take you right there, right, and we right. can start the game from there. So so you know smart people go first of all. Every single thing uh, that people are excellent at has sets of routines. 
leadership has the same thing. It, it has a set of routines and behaviors associated with it of true excellence, most of which aren't known. Why wouldn't you want to talk to someone if, in fact, you felt they, they had some insight into that? Um, and most people are not trained. They're not trained to work with boards. They're not trained to run teams of teams. They're not trained to push a strategic message down in an organization. I mean, where do you go for that? And so they want a sounding board. They want advice and best practice. And then they also want some feedback and they want to hold, they want somebody who's honest that doesn't work for them in a direct way that holds up a mirror and says, this is who, this is what you're doing. This is who you are. This is what's happening right now. And, and by the way, the more senior you get in every organization, the more filtered all the truth is that comes to you. And so you need somebody out there telling you the truth who's willing to say, guess what? You know, you can fire me tomorrow and I'm willing to walk away because I have lots of clients, but I'm going to tell you what you need to hear and whether you like it or not. I don't want to be unpalatable. I don't want to be offensive, but I'm going to do it. And that's my role. That's the role. And so when you have somebody that's a confidential resource that really knows how to do this stuff, there's nothing like it. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing that equals it um, any more than, you know, you no surgeon can operate on themselves. No leader can can really assess themselves and understand everything that's going on without some help that we're the help we're the resource. That's all. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. These tools would have been super helpful to me when I was growing The Daily Stoke, when I was writing my first book, and in fact, have been right? The Daily Soak is built around email marketing. That may well be how you heard of this very podcast. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Look, when I was first thinking of going to therapy, it was a little overwhelming, right? What's covered by insurance? How far do I have to drive? When do they have appointments? I mean, when I first started going to therapy, the idea of online therapy, virtual therapy, it wasn't even an option. And now things are so much easier, so much better. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, be a guiding light. And Talkspace, specifically today's sponsor, can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties. And with Talkspace, you can easily find a therapist that you like. You can schedule virtual appointments and make the most of your time, which even as you're taking care of yourself, you always should try to do. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get 80 bucks off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com stoic. To match with a licensed therapist, go to Talkspace.com stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month. Show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Stoic. So I have some scenarios I want to run through with you, but but something you just touched on that I've heard you talk about at some of those offsites. Um, you know, obviously feedback is essential and we don't get enough unvarnished feedback, but it seems like there's this trend or, and I know you have strong thoughts about it, this idea of radical honesty. I've seen you uh, push back on some CEOs who want, who want to go 
either they want to go to radical honesty, either because or radical candor, either because uh, they're coming at it from a good place, or conversely, they just want an excuse to be an asshole. So, so walk me through how one gives feedback that is honest and authentic, but isn't rude and offensive, because this is a critical part of of leadership. Well, yeah, that and that and isn't that isn't that the goal, right? Yeah. So, so I do I want candidness, of course, but but let's let like, let's separate the idea of uncensored honesty for a second. Nobody wants to be around uncensored honesty because uncensored uncensored honesty is insult, right? It's total challenge. It's it's offensive in in the worst way. I mean, imagine you woke up to somebody that you're committed to for the rest of your life, and the first thing they did is look at you and went, "Wow, you really look bad," and your breath <laughs> stinks, and yeah. and like what's what's in your eye, and and like it, you know, and I mean, oh my goodness gracious! Probably, by the way, they're probably thinking those things, but they're smart enough and to 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 hold the the relationship in enough reverence not to do that stuff. Nobody wants to be around uncensored honesty. But now the next point is, we also though we want honesty from people. We want to know what they really think and what their real views are around things that matter to us. And so, so the question is, how do you express that? And so, and by the way, most of these leaders that say they want radical transparency or, you know, radical candidness and so forth. Um, yeah. They want it from other people. They want other people to do it. They don't, they don't want it themselves. I mean, they sure. would be, they would be very hard, hard taken by, by any of that candidness. They would be, they would sting to the point where they would go, okay, whatever this is, I don't want, I don't want any of it. So, so the question then is, you know, how do you produce as much candidness and as much openness and as much frankness as you possibly can? And it's all about how you carry feedback. And when you study the best leaders, you learn that there's a variety of behaviors and routines by which they carry feedback in a way that doesn't sting. And that's very, very honest. And, and it's about teaching people how to do some of those things. And, and in the process of that, um, making them more skillful so that they can, they actually reward honesty and then encourage it and then give it. And so- yeah, and I found. I found too that feedback has, it's not just that it has to be constructive. It has to be concrete. I was talking to a friend uh, a few years ago who was asking for some feedback. And I said, look, you're very, you're a very Socratic person. You're always asking questions, poking like, Hey, why is it this way? Hey, is that really the best way? I said, it's, it's, it's very provocative uh, and and interesting, but I was like, you have to remember they killed Socrates right? Nobody just wants someone coming around, poking holes at things, pointing out how things are not as good as they could be. My publisher will do this sometimes. They'll go, uh, yeah, it's good, but don't you think there's something better we could do? And I, you know, it's like, yeah, sure. If I knew what that was, I'd probably have done it, right? So I, I have to imagine that as an advisor and a coach and as a leader, you also have to find this. It's easy to find fault, but how do you find solutions that that go along with the fault that you found. That's how you build a productive, collaborative relationship as a leader. Absolutely, fault without fault without solution. By the way, is complaint. Yes, no, it's not. It's not even feedback. It's just a complaint. And by the way, nothing drives me wilder than people that complain but don't have any intention of of doing anything about it. Right? They just want to complain. Catharsis, like mm-hmm. like I don't have time for catharsis. You know, I have time to do things about things, but 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 think about this: the very nature of feedback is a direction, and it comes from a place of power. That's why we call it feedback. By the way, we you know because there's other words we can bandy about, and they and they have less power associated with them. So, for example, the word advice. It, we, it also comes from a place of expertise, but we're, we're often thought that we can accept or reject advice where feedback is directionally 
from someone who holds a legitimate role or power or authority, right? A coach to a, to a player, a teacher to a student, a parent to a child, a team leader to a, to a team member, right? So when the very nature of using the word feedback suggests this is a directive action that I'm doing, hopefully with good intentions to improve your performance. But I'm kind of like, I, I, I don't want to couch it this way, but I, I'm kind of not asking you. I'm kind of telling you. I might even show you, but I'm telling you that directively, this is something you need to do. And it's coming from a place of my experience, expertise, but it's also coming from a place of power. Well, how about if I instead I offer it as advice? How about if I say, hey, this has just been my wise counsel and you know, this is something I was thinking and I'd offer you this advice. All of a sudden, people are less reactive to that. Well, let's take it even further, right? Let's just say we're going to offer a suggestion. Not even a recommendation, because a recommendation is more advice. But just a suggestion. I have a suggestion. Notice most people don't go like, oh, well, like that feels terrible. Okay. Right. right. Now, why do leaders not offer more suggestions? Well, because they want things to happen more quickly. They, they, they want things to happen from a directional standpoint of like, I want you to own this. But more importantly, they like the power. They, 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 they like to feel powerful. And so they, they don't, they, and they want to be right. And so suggestion means maybe I'm not right. Well, gosh, feedback says, I already know what the right answer is. And I'm just telling you, I'm carrying that information to you. So even the very nature of what you, how you couch, what you say is either going to create more resistance or more acceptance just in the very, very descriptor of the words. I mean, then I haven't even told you anything important yet. I'm just saying, so, so whether I say, Hey, I've got some feedback for you. Right. By the way, as soon as somebody says that, you know, it's directive. And it's okay. probably bad. The feedback's not, not you're probably, doing a great job. Probably. Yeah. Versus I have some advice for you versus I have, hey, I have a suggestion. And, and, and then I can go even further than that. I mean, one of the coolest behaviors that we have found is, is how the best leaders ask for help as a way of carrying feedback. So instead of saying to you, like, you know, you talk up too much at team meetings, like you dominate team meetings and other people are, are intimidated as a result. They don't take the risk because they know you're going to take the risks and so forth. So the team meetings aren't going the way they want because of you. Right. That's my view. I sure. might be right, might be wrong, but that's my view. I can say, can I give you a little feedback? Right. And, you know, like you need this is you as Randall or the leader. Right. I yeah. can give you a little feedback. Let me give you some feedback that you're talking up too much. And this is what you need to do differently, you know, in the future. Or I can say, you know, you know, can I give you a little advice or I can say, can I make a suggestion that when you do this, this is what happens. And so my suggestion is you do a little less of that. Or I can say, hey, I'm trying to build a team as I think you are with me. That all everybody wants to participate and everybody wants to be heard, but more importantly, they're willing to take the risks. And so I need your help. Okay. I need your help to, to get this done. And one of the things, can you help me by encouraging other people to speak up? And person says, Well, of course I can. And you say, Well, what do you think gets gets us there? Well, how do you think you can encourage them? I know how I can encourage them. Well, maybe I can ask them questions. I go, that's good. That's good. And, you know, maybe one thing you could do to help me is maybe you can wait for their answers and not, you know, not, not reply for them. Because I think you do that sometimes. I think I do that sometimes. Would you be willing to help me that way? Of course. And by the way, I just carry tremendous amounts of feedback, but it has no resistance to it all because I've actually put myself in the supplicative role. Sure. Of no power at all. The least powerful thing I can do is ask you for help. And so, so how you carry feedback is everything. And there's lots of ways to carry it. Most of which we're not taught to do. So as, as I saw this in the, in the questions, so th this is kind of a common scenario. You let, let's say you get to the place where, you know, you've, 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 
couch the feedback in the supplicant role. You're, you're asking for help. What do you do when someone is not acting on the feedback or the advice? How, do, how does a leader respond in your experience? What does a great leader do when they're having trouble getting people to act on the changes or suggestions? Well, the, well you know, it, it's, a, it's a great question, but it, it could have, I could answer it in so many different ways because some of it depends on how, where I, why I think that resistance is coming. Is it because sure. I'm not credible? Is it because they don't like my advice? Am I not practical enough? Not specific enough? Is it because they just don't like, they, they want to control and they want their own autonomy? I mean, there's so many answers. Sure. But my generic answer to that question, which is probably not so generic, is is the first thing when, when I know that people aren't listening is I know that the one thing they'll respond to is data. So right sure. now, this is just about me and you. But if I can if I can make it about more people, so more so I can actually collect or, or create some data for you. So and by the way, I don't have to do it for you. Maybe I'll ask you to do it. And I say, hey, I'd like you to talk to, you know, the three colleagues and ask them, what do they most appreciate about what's happening in the meetings and what do they least appreciate what's happening? Because I want you to go collect that data. Sure. I can do that, right? Right. Or I can say, hey, I've talked to everyone. And by the way, Bob says this and Jill says that and Jackie says this and right. And, 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 and Sharon says this. And so, so, and, and, and I would, I would concur, right? So data matters to people. And so show when don't 16, tell when 16, when 16 people say you look like a duck, trust me, you look like a duck, right? Yeah. Okay. So, so that's one thing. Second thing though, is um, if, if people aren't listening, there, there might very well be because they're defensive in some way. And so what I want to do is, is I want to make this about our relationship. T tell me, like, let's explore, like I've asked you to do this thing and, you know, and I, I think it would better you and you're, you're continually not doing this and you're not being as effective. Let's explore why. And I, and I'm going to make this about me. What can I do? Like what, what, what haven't I, you know, maybe I've not been clear. Maybe may, I'm going to make this about me instead of you. Cause that's how I'm going to reduce your resistance. And so let's make it about me first. And so like, you know, what resource do you need? What, what explanation do you need? Like what help do you need? Do you need me to come do this thing with you? Do you need, do you need a tutor for your homework? Like you're not listening to me. So what do you need from me? I'm going to make this about me. And what that's going to do is create some really on, real honesty. Um, around, you know, what's really going on here and, and in a non-defensive way. So many leaders, that's the last thing they would ever do is make it about themselves because it's the idea, like you're the one not doing it, right? Right. But the deal is, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? And being effective means what leaders have to do. And we're now right full circle back to this idea of making other people better and not being about yourself. You got to make it about you first. Right. And so you're not doing so. I must have misled you. I, I, I haven't been clear. And what I'm like, what do you need from me? OK, now let's just say that doesn't work still. I love the idea of simply asking you to be in my shoes. So listen, Brian. Okay. I've told you X, Y, and Z like multiple times. Okay. You clearly haven't acted on it. We've had conversations about that and so on and so on. So now you're me. What would you tell you? Right. Like, like, let's I like that a roles. lot. Sure. Like, let's change roles. Let's it. Right. And, and that's an interesting way of, of playing it. Or I might say instead, right. I have somebody else that doesn't, isn't responding to feedback. I've given them this feedback. Where else? What would you say to them? Okay. Because you know, I'm talking about you, but what would you tell somebody else? Okay. And now all of a sudden that opens up a conversation because what I'm trying to do in each of these cases is I'm trying to open the dialogue and create a relational supportive way by which we can explore what's going on here. Cause I don't know what's going on here. I just know that you're not doing what I need you to do. You know and what so I think all those have, 
what I think all those have in common, which is a really key stoic virtue, I would say is restraint. The leader has power in the scenarios that you're talking about. They can fire the person, they can yell at the person, they can reassign the job, they can just force the thing to happen. But in all the scenarios you've described, the leader is, it's not that they're abdicating the power, but they're restraining from using the power and instead trying to get the other person to do the thing under their own power. And I think Eisenhower said that his definition of leadership was to get someone to do something because they want to do it. And it, it, that strikes me as maybe the root of your philosophy there. Or at least within the context of the relationship. But one thing, you're, and you're going to learn this one day because you'll have a teenager one day, pretty soon you're going to realize you're going to give up power to keep power. You got to give up power to maintain power. Just like you have to give respect to get respect, give trust to gain trust, right? You're going to, you know, Power is a really interesting thing that if you hold it too closely, you actually have less of it. And if you act too powerfully, the only thing that works is to act more powerfully next time. Yes. And so, so it's very, it's a very elusively, you know, misunderstood thing that um, I, I just find, you know, and again, it takes real maturity, but, but all it really takes for all of us is to have a teenager and then you'll, you'll solve it. You'll figure it out or you'll, or you'll drown in the process. But, but, you know, at some point you realize I can't force my child without being arrested to get on that bus. It has to be his or her idea. And if I haven't instilled those values, and if they look at me and go, I'm not getting on the bus, like I, I've, I don't have a lot I can do actually um, right at the moment to get them on that bus. I can't physically put my hands on them. Otherwise, sure. you know, the police will be, you know, will be coming for me. So, so now what do I, so I've chosen, right. I, for whatever reason, I've created a situation where I haven't given them enough, uh, up enough power in order to maintain my authority and power. And, and that's just, that's just, that happens all the time. And the best leaders, the people that are wise realize this is about, you know, this isn't about me in control or me directing things. This is about me making it your idea and creating a context for a relationship where we trust each other. We respect each other. And you'll do this for me because I, you know, I would do it for you. And that changes everything. Right. But so many, so many of us just aren't patient enough or mature enough to do that. Yeah, I found at, at American Apparel when when Dove sort of had set up this culture of if you screwed up, you got yelled at. But what but there was never anything beyond getting yelled at. Right. So what you found is that incompetent people, it, it filtered for incompetent people who were OK being yelled at. They basically realized if I can just endure this beating, essentially, that will be the end of this. There'll be no other consequences, no other changes no other adjustments. So if I can just be like, you know, okay being yelled at, that the, the storm will pass and then I can just go back to being whoever I want to be. So sad. Because imagine the amount of disrespect that people have from themselves for being willing to be yelled at, right? Yes. So they wake up every morning, look in the mirror and go, not only am I going to get yelled at, but I'm the kind of person that is willing to be yelled at, okay? Right, uh, it's a feedback. It creates tremendous helplessness creates tremendous apathy, right? Talk about commitment, dedication, right? To a, to a cause or to a purpose. That's, that's the recipe for how you don't create it. You know, um, you know, so, so again, there's just, so, there's so much stuff for you and I to talk about, but that's just so fascinating because so many leaders move to the expedient and what seems like to be the most effective thing to do, like, like coercion, like punishment, like threat. 
I mean, it's such a simple thing to do. And by the way, the reason it's so seductive is because it works. But the problem is that, by the way, you know, if you, once you move that way, you've now destroyed the relationship and, and have hurt and harmed the trust enough where the only thing that will work is more coercion. Right. And so now you're stuck. You're in a cycle. And 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 here's what we know, not, not me personally, but in the literature, if you're going to be a coercive leader, you're going to threaten and yell at people or whatever, whatever your version of coercion is, you got to be physically present. Otherwise, they thumb their nose at you. Right. So if you're going to be a parent that's coercive, you got to be in the house because the moment you go on vacation, these kids are going to destroy things. Right. They don't hold the values at all because they're just trying not to get the punishment. Same thing's true in organizations. As soon, if you're not physically in the office, people don't people are going to do everything in their power to ex- exert their own control and autonomy and prove to people that you don't control them because you're not there to yell at them. So they will do terrible things. So you have the opposite. So you, so if you're going to be coercive, you got to be really good at it. It's going to happen all the time and you got to be physically present. Sounds like a horrible leadership life to me. Yes. I'll leave that to other people. The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now, like for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts, discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Get your Easter shopping done without leaving the house with DoorDash. When the holidays come around and family comes to town, things can get forgotten. But with DoorDash, you can order your Easter baskets, chocolate bunnies, brunch must-haves, and so much more all in one place delivered right to your door. Actually, last Easter, I was in Annapolis. I was giving a talk and we realized we didn't have some of the Easter supplies we needed for the hotel room we were in to give our kids a little on-the-road Easter experience. And that's what we did. We DoorDashed everything we needed for Easter just like a couple weeks weeks ago when I hurt my ankle, I door dashed an ankle brace and some medicine. You can get anything you need on DoorDash with so many local and national stores to choose from. You can take it easy this Easter knowing you can get everything you need. Whether you're looking for plastic eggs for your Easter egg hunt or needing an ingredient for a side dish, DoorDash can help. Order now and get everything you need for Easter on DoorDash. Use code DAILYSTOIC to get 50% off up to $10 when you spend 15 bucks on your next convenience, grocery, or retail order on DoorDash. That's code daily stoic order using doordash today for eligible users only terms apply no you get in a feedback loop and i i've i've gotten in that myself where the the person is in a job they can't do you're unable to reach and change them and so you get in this uh, like almost abusive feedback loop where they're not doing what you're, they're supposed to do you're yelling at them they don't care because you're yelling at them. Someone posted in the thing the, that that cliche: uh, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Uh, you know, th- there's there are also just situations where it's like this is not a fit, and we're going to be happier if we part ways. 
Yeah, but your notion of self-selection is exactly right. I mean, I've had multiple organizations where, where I've sat down and said, let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of this organization. Let's start with the idea that everybody self-selects for the top, for the behavior that happens here. Sure. So your, your reputation is, is widely you know, known and your, and your interviewing process is, is, is transparent enough where people go, ah, okay, I got to be this kind of person to work here. Otherwise, like this is going to work. And so you lose you know, top talent as a result. Yeah, but people are blind to that for the most part. So you talked about this idea of giving up power to keep power. One of the ways I've seen you do this, you've talked about it. Uh, it, it maybe it doesn't seem like giving up power, but it is. Is I think so often people think the leader is in charge. It's all about the leader. The leader's the main person. That's who we're all behind. But you've talked about this idea that a leader is a fan that you, you want to be at what, what was it? You wanted to be a great fan or an unconditional fan. Walk me through your, your sort of, it's not quite cheerleading, but talk to me about how a leader is a fan and supports the people who work for them. I, I found this really interesting. So, so that's really the magic or the foundation of, of inspiration and motivation, right? I mean, people get inspired or motivated by lots of things, but the one thing that everyone wants more than anything else is the people that they respect and admired rooting for them, cheering yes. for them, clapping for them, right? Wanting them to succeed. What it means to be a fan is I will do anything for you to succeed, but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be, I'm going to hold you accountable. Um, our relationship has nothing to do with your performance, but I am here to help you succeed and I want you to succeed. And I'm going to do everything in my power to do so. I'm not going to put up hurdles. I'm not going to, you know, put, create a gauntlet for you. I am going to simply root for you and I'm going to demonstrate. Me saying I'm your fan means nothing, but I'm going to demonstrate to you that I am in your corner and I am trying my best to help you succeed in every way you want to succeed. And when you have that in your corner, it's wind, wind at your back and you'll do anything for people that are great fans of yours. And we all want parents and coaches and teachers that are great fans. And many of them aren't, unfortunately, they just don't have that in their head. In fact, they think it's about demand and challenge and a lot of other things of which there's places for those things. But, but at the end of the day, the composite of you, are you, are you rooting for me? Are you my fan? Or, or 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 less so, and 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 my ability to stay committed and loyal to you, and, and reciprocate my that support is a function of how you demonstrate it to me. Yeah, we we told the story uh, in the Daily Dad email a few months ago about Jim Volvano, the basketball coach. His his father, uh, Volvano, as a kid, had said to his father, "I think I want to be a basketball coach. That's what I want to do." Um, and so this, the dad says, "Yeah, sure, that sounds great." You know, and he, they thought he he thought it was the end of the conversation. The next day, uh, Volvano's father calls him into his bedroom, and there's a suitcase packed on the bed. And, and Jim says, what's that? And his dad says, that's my suitcase. It's packed and ready to go for when you, when you coach in the final four. And, and I can just, it gives me goosebumps to think about that, to, 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 to think about what that must've meant to a kid, right? That your dad would do a demonstration so sort of so clean and simple and earnest that like I'm in your corner and I want to help you be successful. It's just a beautiful thing. Beautiful is exactly the right word. It is beautiful, right? And when you have that and you experience that level of fairness and you want to do it for other people, and by the way, that's your job as a leader. And if you can't be my fan, you should not be leading me. Yes. Okay? And, and by the way, if you can't be my fan and I'm your child, right? Or I'm your spouse, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have gotten in this contract with me, sure. right? 
And so that's your job and good days and bad days. Now, most of us can be fans when things are going well. Right. Good grades come home when the marriage is, you know, wonderful and so forth. When the team is performing, the question is your job is to be and show fanness, right? Independent of good, good or bad outcomes, right? Your job is to be that thing. Cause that's what leadership in some aspect, not, not all of leadership, but some aspect of leadership called motivation, inspiration. That's what requires. And, and the more that you can develop the behaviors and the routines of fanness, of which we know like 48 of them that we've been able to uncover, then, then, then the more you'll be able to, to demonstrate that to people and, and create and motivate and inspire people without having to know exactly whether they're coin operated or whether they like, you know, to be threatened or whether they, they really like autonomy or they want mastery or they want purpose. They want higher, higher. Like I like all those things, but I want a universal where I know that I'm going to show up anytime, any day with anybody, and I'm going to be more inspirational and, and motivational. And I know it's famous. And if I so, can demonstrate famous, that's what produ- it gets produced. Here's a situation I, I saw someone mention, but I've struggled with it myself. What do you do? I, I found myself, especially with some young people that I've hired, I found myself saying these words like, I can't want this for you more than you want it for yourself. So what do you do when you are a fan of someone, you do want them to be successful, you are rooting for them, but they seem to be stuck in some sort of trap of self-doubt or fear or laziness or entitlement? What do you do when, how do you get people to rise to their level of potential or excellence? So, so you shake them up, but, but shaking them up doesn't, isn't necessarily a negative. Right. There's lots of ways of shaking people up. Like sometimes it's around it's about putting them in the right context so that they're able to succeed at a higher level. Like, for example, you probably know this, but I work with lots of college golf teams. And one of the things I like to do is I like to take the teams a couple of weeks before they you know, have a big tournament. I like to put them on a course that everyone's going to shoot 63 on. Yeah. Like the whole short course, it's easy course. And they're all going to just shoot this really low number. OK. And, and they go like, wow, like that felt really good. Damn right. Okay. And by the way, it's not going to be like that in a couple of weeks. So that's the last time we're going to do that, but I want to pump you up. I want to, I want to shake you up. I want to, I want to get your confidence as high as I can get it as an example, or it might be that I just need to put you in a situation where you can demonstrate your skills and your skills will be more rewarded, not just by me, but by other people, you know, you'll be able to compete uh, in a different way. Or, or, I mean, there's so many ways that I would probably try to shake somebody up. It would depend on that context. But but at the end of the day, that's what's going to be in my head. I want I want to I just want to just you know just to, to give you superlatives and and try. I want to shake you up. I want to I want to create a context by which you can come to see yourself differently, or at least see yourself more like I see you, which is very capable. I'll tell you this. I give you an example. I I have a very talented person in our team, and and uh, for whatever reason, she goes in and out of confidence, in and out of confidence. And you know, I've tried lots of different things. Well, I had a very honest conversation with her the other you know, about two or three weeks ago. And, and she was shocked by it, by the way. Um, and I'll tell you how it ended up. But what I said to her, I took a chance and I said, you know, I feel insulted by you. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I have all this confidence in you more than you have confidence in, in yourself. But what you're telling me when you lack confidence in yourself is that I must be stupid, right. that, that my confidence is unfounded, that I must not be a good judge. And I, I just, I find that insulting. She said, it never occurred to me that you could be insulted by my lack of low confidence. And I go, I, I think the world of you and have invested a tremendous amount of resource. And here you are undermining yourself. And you're and you're, you're basically calling me stupid. 
And she said, seriously? And I said, not completely, but mostly. Yeah. And I said, you got to stop it. And believe it or not, that was the thing that shook her up. And now she goes, listen, if, if Randall thinks that I, that highly of me, I better start getting on the, on the train. I better think that highly of me because if I don't, I'm basically not believing in him. And I believe definitely in him. And by the way, I, I like that conversation a lot because it made me feel good. Right. But, but at the end of the day, you got to shake people up because you can't let them stay in this place where they are underperforming based on what they're, what's cap- what they're capable of because they simply lack a view or a perspective or a context by which they can assess themselves um, more objectively. Well, and to go to the go to the conversation you just mentioned, that's another example of giving up power. You're not saying I'm the leader, I'm the boss, you need to change how you think. You're actually flipping it on its head and you're saying, you have power over me because I feel insecure or doubtful, insulted by how you're choosing to see yourself. And it's forcing them into the position of going, oh, I have to step up, be confident, believe in myself so I can be there for Randall. Exactly right. Sneaky, isn't it? Yes. And by the way, right. all, all great leadership is sneaky. And, and I don't mean sneaky in a manipulative, deceptive way. Sneaky in the sense of its subtleties, its nuance. And the nuance that you, that, uh, you, know, uh, that you and I are sharing, there's lots of other nuances, but one of them is giving up power. You got to give up power to, 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 to be powerful. You know, just like, you know, if you, if you hold a ball really, really tight, you, 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 it, it, you won't have control over the ball. The tighter you control, you, you have a grip on that ball, the less control you have over that ball. The same thing's true in human behavior. The, more, the tighter you hold things, the less control, the less influence, and the less effectiveness you're going to have in that situation, which is counterintuitive. I, I saw someone mention this, so I'm glad you brought it up. What is the line distinction balance between sneaky and manipulative? Because there are other leaders who, you know, that they're sort of playing this game or they're trying to pit people against each other or trying to sneak this. Or, like, how does one sort of do the jujitsu that you're talking about without that bleeding over into a kind of manipulativeness or Machiavellianism or, or, or what have you? Positive intentions. Where are your intentions? At the end of the day, I can't judge you for anything other than that. I can't, I can't judge only the outcomes because, you know, those happen, those are moderated by other things, sure. right? And I can't judge perfectly your character, generally speaking, because that may apply, not apply in this moment. But what I can do is say, from what you've demonstrated, what you said, what you did, and, and by, by asking you, what were your intentions and how positive were they and how much were they about you or how much were they about me? And were those, were those intentions pro-social? Were they things where you actually thought that would help? Or was this about you right, getting your way? Because sure. when you're manipulative and deceptive and sneaky in the negative way, it's, because, it's about you getting your way. Okay. When, when you're, you know, when you're clever and in, in, in industrious and, and creative and, 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 and sneaky in a positive way, you know, you're, you're being intentional in a positive way to other people. So it's all about intentions for me. So this idea of being a student of leadership, obviously you've had now four decades of, of actually being in the room where things are happening. Um, are there any leaders you think people should study or know about perhaps ones that they don't know? And, and what would be some, some books you might recommend uh, to uh, aspiring or struggling leaders? So, so you know, I, I don't even know how, how to take that question because I hold the opposite view. I okay. don't want anybody holding up leaders to study or emulate. 
And the reason is, and I want to correct that in a second, but the reason is this, we make heroes out of people and they disappoint us, right? They're never as good or as flawless as we'd like to make. And they're always going to get us in trouble and they're always going to do things because they're human. We're all flawed. So, so it's time for us to stop celebrating people and celebrate actions and behaviors instead. You know, I'm not a big fan of Steve Jobs for for what I know and how I know and so forth and so on. But he's he's got a couple of behaviors that I I teach everybody. Sure. And and I don't have to tell them they're from Steve Jobs. I don't tell them. I never tell anybody anything where they come from because it's irrelevant where they come from. We should hold up the actions of great leaders, the judgments of great leaders. So let me tell you this. For example, imagine that we started a dialogue together and it's something where we've we've we expect that, you know, we we haven't been we haven't found common ground before. This is going to be a difficult conversation and the like. But I want to have an open, honest conversation. And imagine I say to you, okay, I want to commit to you right now that I that I acknowledge that I could be entirely wrong about about how I see things. I just want to start there. And I'd like, you know, I'd love for you to reciprocate. I'm not going to require it, but I want to start with this place that says, I acknowledge that I might be totally wrong and I'm doing so publicly in front of you or in front of this team. Okay. Now let's have a conversation from there. What impact do you think that has on the openness or the, or the, or the transparency of that conversation? I think it has a lot. It's very disarming. I think it's a very wonderful thing to do especially in, in high conflict situations where where people are more likely to dig in and be big advocates for what they believe and don't believe there's anybody else. But when you start there again about you, right? Well, guess what? You know where I learned that from? One of the few things I learned from Abraham Lincoln. But I don't call it the Lincoln thing, right? And I don't sure. hold up Lincoln because, by the way, like, you know, Lincoln's son hated him so much, he chose to end the generation. Right. The Lincoln sure. died with his son because he hated his father so much because he was ignored as a kid and chose never to have offspring on purpose. Not a flawless leader. I'm sure glad Lincoln existed, though, by the way, and I'm sure glad he was what he was. Probably Mary Dodd didn't probably wouldn't agree with our general view of, of, of Abraham Lincoln. But there's things we can learn from people. Sure. It's time to celebrate actions, the behaviors instead of people. People are always going to disappoint us. They're flawed. Sure. Right? They're always going to get us in trouble. Somebody can have integrity for 55 straight years and lose it one morning. Okay. And by doing the wrong thing and engaging in the wrong action, I can't stop that. But what I can do is stop worshiping them and I can start holding up their behaviors and say, here's something I can learn and apply for the rest of my life. And it doesn't matter. It came from Abraham Lincoln or Steve Jobs or whoever it came from. Okay. As an example. What what are some books then that you might uh, recommend that 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 have good leadership behaviors in them? I I do like this distinction. It's it's well said. There's actually a book I love. I have it up here called Lincoln's Virtues. Yeah, it's less about Lincoln and and yeah. more about the idea of of uh, it, basically the premise of the book, as I recall it, is Lincoln was not a saint. Lincoln was a politician. So how did Lincoln get things done as a politician? That's something we can learn from him. So are, are there some books you commonly give to the leaders that you work with? There aren't. I mean, it just depends on the context. There are things that I like at given moments of time. Sure. Like I'm a big fan right now. Uh, I don't, I've never met her. Katie Milkman wrote that book recently called How We Change. It's a great mm-hmm. book, right? Um, all around personal habits. I like I like it as, as good as I'd like just about anything else lately, right? Um, you know, and so if you show me and you say, uh, you know, the last, you know, 
like six months, what something that I think is worth reading. There are things worth reading. I like Reed Hastings, you know, the, the you know, the, 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 um, the Netflix book, um, new rules rules. I think that's, it's got some really interesting stuff in it. I like the, his metaphor of talent density in there and, and some things. Um, um, but there's no one particular book that I say to everybody, you need to read this. Okay. Now, if, if you told me it was only one thing, right, that I had to read. And so sure. there's, there's an old book called Management of the Absurd that I just happened to find, have very, be very fond of. And it's from 1996. It's hard to find now and so forth. But basically what the author of the Management of Absurd does is he basically takes concepts like problems and dilemmas and says, what's the difference? And he, he does that, you know, what's the difference between this and this? And, and he makes some really interesting points. And he kind of shakes you up, right? And he, he kind of gives you a different point of view really, really fast in a, in a very, very thin book. I love that book. I used to give it to everybody. I don't give it to anybody now because I can't get it. Um, but um, you can find it on ABE books and things like that. But um, and maybe they brought it back out since 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 now that I'm saying this, I have no idea if it's been republished or not. But you know, I'm not a big fan of like this. You got to read this. I'm in, I'm, sure. I'm a big fan of reading programs. Um, you know, give me a topic and I'll give you some seminal things that I think are not the everyday stuff to read. But there's just no one book. I'm a big fan of. There was a guy named Sample who wrote a book in 2002. He was the president of USC called the contrarian's guide to leadership. And, you know, you'll smile because it's contrarian, you know, I'm contrarian, but he writes a chapter in there on thinking gray. I have lots of people read that. I love that chapter on thinking gray um, because way too many leaders don't think gray enough. Um, but you now there's not one thing, Ryan, if you told me like, what about this topic or that topic, then I'd, I'd give you books, but nothing, nothing that I give everybody. Well, I do feel like that's what a great coach does. A great coach doesn't say, hey, read this general book. A coach says, on page 22 of this book published in 1940 is an insight that might unlock something for you about this very specific problem exactly that you have. Right. Exactly right. Yep. So uh, as we wrap up, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I think I think I mentioned it before, but when I came out and visited you, I, kept, I have no conception of time anymore. It could have been five years ago. It could have been uh, exactly two, two days before the pandemic started. But I remember I went for a run. This was like February in Pennsylvania. It was very cold. I went for a run and I ended up in Treddy in Pennsylvania. Is, am I pronouncing that yeah. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I came across this little Revolutionary War cemetery and almost it, it just snowed. So everything was dusted in snow and almost all the graves were old and decayed. You couldn't you couldn't read them. And there was one uh, it dated to, I think, 1805. And this is the inscription. I thought I'd read it to you because to me, it's a, it's it's the epitaph that a leader should aspire to. It's uh, verses. On, this is for a woman named Margareta Workheiser. And it says, verses on tombstones are but idly spent. The living character is the monument. Cool. And, and isn't that what we're aspiring to do as a leader? It's not it's not to, you know, leaders think about their legacy or they think about, you know, generational wealth. Or, but but really, if we go back to this idea of leaders make people better, the the real monument you leave behind, as Jackie Robinson said, is the impact that we have on other people's lives, on our children, on our family, and on the people who who decide to join us on whatever uh, journey that we're on. I mean, listen, I've interviewed lots of leaders at the end of their lives, and everybody says the same thing. It's it's all about who you matter to. 
And yes. that's that's the recipe for success, right? But but if I if I if I would add to to your commentary, which I think is a great one, um, you know, to me, you know, this whole idea of success and being a successful leader and legacy and everything else, it's so outcome oriented. Right. Where when I when I study the best leaders in the world and something that I've learned to aspire to myself and and through them, it's you know, I didn't I didn't I didn't conceive of this, but this idea of instead of trying to succeed, try, working really hard to deserve to succeed. Because when you deserve to succeed, trust me, it'll happen. The square will take care of itself. The victories will come. Whatever the success is will happen. But most of us don't work hard enough on us to deserve to succeed. What, you know, do you really deserve it? And 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 that's all about you. It's all about your character. It's about your behaviors. It's about the choices you make. Do you deserve to succeed? And I, I think that's a that's you know that's wholly what I believe in terms of um, that that kind of a of a larger epitaph of of what's life about. I think it's about trying to deserve deserve success, not necessarily attain it. There's a there's a story I'm going to tell in the book that I'm writing now. Uh, do you know who Admiral Rickover was? He oh, yeah, basically invented yeah, the nuclear navy. One of the great unsung leaders of the 20th century. Yeah, we've studied um, him. Yeah. So he, he would person, we talked about culture as well. He would personally interview every person that was hired, uh, to, to, to work on a nuclear submarine. And he interviewed Jimmy Carter as a young man, uh, right. When Jimmy Carter had just come out of the Naval Academy and, uh, he's interviewing Carter and Carter's bragging about his grades and his performance in the assignments and all of that. And, and Rick over looks at him and he says, but did you always do your best? And, uh, Carter says, thinks about it and says, no, I don't think I always did my best. And Rickover gets up and says, why not? And then walks out of the room. And if we're thinking about the living monument, it's not whether we always succeeded, whether we won, whether we were uh, the a transformative president or a you know seen as a mediocre president in Jimmy Carter's case, it's did we do our best, right? Did we deserve success, as you were saying? That's what leadership is. Absolutely, and so many great leaders have that view, and they say it in different ways, right? But you know, the problem, Brian, is for you and me is we like we 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 agree too much. Like these, <laughs> these conversations aren't interesting enough to other people because we we just have too much of the same ideas in our head. Well, there's another funny story about Rickover. He 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 once gave uh, one of his subordinates a negative review, and the guy said, "Why? I, I thought I was doing great." And he said, "You haven't once disagreed with me the entire time that you've worked for me." There you go. There you go. No, uh, Randall, it's always amazing to talk to you. You've been a wonderful mentor and guide to me, and and I know uh, I, I've I've spoken to many of your. Uh, I'll call them proteges slash uh, advisees, and and they they absolutely rave about what you do. And I I think about your thing about being a fan almost every day as a parent. So uh, you've made me better as a result. And and I, I'm just I'm a huge fan, and I'm so glad we got to meet. And thank you for doing this. And I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. My pleasure, and and thank you. You know, like uh, I wouldn't be in our relationship if I didn't learn from you, and so it's been reciprocal. Like I had a friend say to me once, he said, "I said thank you for your friendship." He said, "All friendship is reciprocal. Thank you for yours, and it's true." It likewise, I appreciate that so much, and uh, I hope to come out and see you guys again in person sometime. Okay, great. 
we just reopened the course, so you get access to all my conversations, the Q and A's I did, all of that, uh, and you can check that out at dailystoic.com/leadershipchallenge. I think you'll really like it. Uh, we've had some awesome testimonials. Actually, you know what? Here, I'll give you one of the testimonials right now. I really enjoyed this program. Uh, thank you for. I've done almost. Uh, almost all the daily stoic challenges since I started doing them like five years ago or so. Um, and I have to say that the, the cost of the program and the amount of value brought in was quite amazing. So anyways, don't take my word for it. Listen to him. Check out the daily stoic leadership challenge at dailystoic.com slash leadership challenge. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Daily Stoic early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus.